All right, our scripture reading today, we're going to be camping out here a while today, but Matthew chapter 4, we'll just read the first few verses of this passage, beginning in verse 12. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I mentioned we're going to camp out in this text a while. We're actually going to be reading quite a bit of scripture today. I hope that's okay. And I guess hopefully that doesn't feel all that unusual. Well, one thing we hope to consistently do during our worship services is to read and sing and pray a lot of scripture. So we are going to read some lengthy sections from here uh, in Matthew 4, and then one lengthy section from our reading from Paul to the Corinthians as well. If you're visiting with us today, just to catch you up to speed with where we are, we are spending a few weeks talking about some of our hopes, some of our desires for this community of faith that we are a part of, how we are hoping to be formed, how we are hoping to serve, how we're hoping to engage in God's restoration outside of these walls as well. That's a, a central part of our purpose as a church. We are hoping to join in God's work of restoration of all things. And so we do that through mission. We do it by engaging in our surrounding culture. We do it through community by seeking to develop genuine relationships within the body. We, we do it by finding wholeness and completeness in Jesus Christ alone. And that's what I want us to focus our attention on today. And you know, a lot of this is interconnected. Mission is dependent on community and vice versa. Finding wholeness, finding completeness in Christ is also dependent in many ways on community. They feed on one another. Rich Velotis, a pastor in New York, recently put it like this, speaking of the connection between wholeness and community. He said, we are wounded in community. We've probably all experienced that. We are wounded in community and we are healed in community. No way around it. Healing might not come from the community where the wounding took place, but community is needed for healing nonetheless. There is connection between our relationships with one another, the community that develops, and that process of discovering wholeness. This was a part of our conversation last week. I want to consider, though, that process of discovering wholeness today more broadly. Because discovering wholeness from a Christian perspective is not just hiding the cracks it's not just covering the brokenness and hoping that nobody notices or putting up a facade to cover our brokenness up. You know, Nanette and I got a, a lamp shortly after we got married, just a normal lamp for a bedroom. And I don't remember how exactly, but shortly after we purchased it, it fell off the table it was sitting on and the lampshade 
broke. But it didn't break so bad that the lampshade was falling off. It was still sitting in the right place. It was just kind of tilted. It had some creases and a little tear. Um, but but it still worked fine. Now, now, if you don't know this about me, I, I don't like to spend money needlessly. So my solution to this issue was to just turn the lampshade around so that those... All right. So there are some others like that in the room. That's great to hear. So the, the creases and tears were facing the wall, and our guests couldn't see that the lampshade was broken. And that, that, that was my solution, and that lamp is still sitting in our guest bedroom to this day. So years later, um, it has worked. But that's not the solution that we're talking about um, when we're considering the brokenness that we each experience as human beings, the wholeness that we find in Christ is not just a process of, of covering up the brokenness or pretending that it doesn't exist. So let's continue reading that section in Matthew where we left off a moment ago in verse 18. Hopefully by the, the end of our time to get today, we'll, we'll see this connection. Verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So here we find Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee, looking out onto the water and seeing Peter and Andrew fishing. He calls out to them, and his appeal to them is not, hey, here is some important information for you to believe. Do you understand it? Can you explain it? Is it crystal clear? Make sure you have all of this nailed down. No questions, no wavering faith, because that's what's truly important. That's not the invitation Jesus makes, at least not entirely. In fact, that doesn't sound much like an invitation. That's just a list of instructions. The appeal Jesus makes to these fishermen is an invitation Hey, come and follow me. Follow me. This sounds rather simple, and we know this. We've heard these calling stories from Jesus countless times as he begins assembling this core group of disciples around him, but I think the invitation has some rather profound implications for us to consider today in relation to our purpose as the people of God. Because as the church and as individual members of the church, the call that we have received is the same in many ways. Yes, of course, it's different than Peter and Andrew and, and the other disciples in some fairly obvious ways. I mean, for instance, we don't have the benefit of following Jesus in the flesh as they did. That They saw him. They walked with him, they spoke with him, and ate with him. That's, that's a different experience, to be sure, but we too have been called 
to follow the resurrected and living Jesus Christ. And so while we may approach our faith maybe through the lens of academic thought or we may take an intellectual approach to the faith, and I think that can be a good thing. In fact, I have a tendency at times to approach faith in that way, but that sort of intellectual pursuit isn't, it can't be the end of our faith pursuits. Yes, we are interested in finding truth, something we think, finding truth and basing our lives on that truth, but we also confess that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so even thinking deeply about our faith, attempting to find truth, all of that is grounded in our desire to follow Jesus. Not just to think about Jesus, but to find him, to know him. Not just to have right thoughts, but to dwell with him and participate in his life. I heard somebody put it like this. Jesus didn't only say, here is the truth, believe it. No, he said, I am the truth, follow me. It is a call into participation. We could think of Peter and Andrew here in the story that we're reading, laying down their nets. Nets that in many ways represented livelihood, Nets that maybe represented some personal passions or a purpose in life. And they lay that down, lay it aside to follow Jesus. And while I don't necessarily think that following Jesus always calls us to lay all passions down or to lay our occupation down to pursue something like full-time church work or missionary work, sometimes... For some people, it may mean that. I've noticed that this door here is not as good at blocking sound as a wall. So you'll have to bear with me if I become distracted by that. Sometimes for, for some people, it may mean that. It may mean leaving occupation behind. In fact, we have several in this room for whom it has meant that following a call into something like full-time uh, full mission. And if that is you, if you feel that sense, I would encourage you to be willing to listen to the voice of the Spirit and be willing to follow that leading. But that, that's not going to be everybody's story. In fact, many are going to have stories that look very different than that. However, I think we can all identify with this story in this way. When we are called to follow Jesus, I believe that all of us are called to leave something behind, to lay something down. At, at the very least, we are called to die to ourselves and to die to our sin, and that's a big deal. That is a sacrificial call. Le leaving behind sacrificing maybe even parts of our understanding about ourselves, that may be an important part in discovering wholeness in Christ. That, that's a scary prospect, to be sure. Again, think about Peter and Andrew in this story. There is an unpredictability in following Jesus for them. 
And that can be hard to come to terms with, especially in that it grates against some of our goals of having quantifiable and predictable results for our lives, for having a degree of control in regard to where our lives are heading. But following Jesus is very much this process of discovering wholeness, but maybe not even knowing what that looks like when we begin the journey. Peter and Andrew don't know where their lives are heading, really, in relation to Jesus Christ. There is an unpredictability and an unfamiliarity and a lack of understanding, and yet they trust. They lay down their nets and follow Jesus. And I think the same could be said for us as well. We begin the the faith journey not really knowing where it's all heading. Not really understanding what wholeness in Christ truly looks like, but we begin the journey and we trust that Christ is leading us and walking with us, and we trust that he is taking us to wholeness, where our brokenness and the fragmentation that we've experienced will be restored. Let's continue reading in verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pain, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So this is how Matthew describes some of those initial moments of Jesus' public ministry. He's teaching, he's proclaiming the gospel, but he is also enacting the gospel of wholeness. He's healing diseases healing afflictions, healing those who are oppressed by demons and those experiencing brokenness in many different ways. When Jesus encounters these individuals, healing follows. Now, I don't think that the takeaway for us is that, well, every illness and every affliction, that all pain is going to be healed in this present life. I think all of us, at some point, will experience pain, and all of us will experience pain that is not taken away in the present. Maybe it's a physical ailment, or maybe something else. We're not immune from that type of pain, and I don't think the promise that we have in Jesus is immediate or unequivocal deliverance from those difficult situations in exactly the way we hope for. However, what I am convinced of is that Jesus is still among us. Jesus is still among us and is still restoring what has been lost, is still redeeming brokenness, is still creating something beautiful out of the broken and fragmented pieces of our lives. We don't experience the complete redemption of our bodies. We don't experience the complete redemption of all of creation in the here and now, but Jesus does bring wholeness. 
So we started with Matthew 4. I want to jump over to some of the writings of St. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, as I think he provides a way to help us understand how this works and how it's possible to find wholeness in Jesus in a letter he wrote to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, our reading from the epistles today, Paul opens his thought in that chapter, talking about the light of the gospel, a knowledge of the glory of God that is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. So the God who revealed his glory in creation has now revealed that glory completely in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul Paul goes on in this way in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Amen. So here Paul speaks of these vessels, or these jars of clay as a description of us. Human beings who have the treasure of the glory of God in us through Jesus Christ. And I think in an important way, this is critical in perceiving how Christians come to understand this idea of wholeness or completeness. So again, this is a part of our purpose to discover wholeness personally and communally, and to seek to restore wholeness in all facets of life. But what I think we discover, as Paul writes to these Christians, our brothers and centuries from centuries before, is that wholeness is not found in sort of that cultural mantra of me doing me, right? And I know a lot of times that's said sort of in a a tongue-in-cheek fashion, You do you. But sometimes, as I look at my life, sometimes me doing me is what led to some of the brokenness I'm experiencing right now. Wholeness is not found in something innate, some worthiness that I have, but according to Paul here, wholeness is found in our own vulnerability, in our mortality, carrying the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be manifested. That's what Paul says here. In her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, Tish Harrison Warren wrote this. She said, here's the thing. Pretty good people do not need Jesus. Pretty good people do not need Jesus. He came for the lost. He came for the brokenness, or for the broken. In his love for us, he came to usher us into his foundness 
and wholeness. So let's think about this in relation to that image that Paul is using here because having the treasure of the glory of Christ stored in a jar of clay, that seems like a really bad idea. Craig Keener notes that clay vessels at this time in history, so maybe like the fragile, the cheap pottery lamps that at this time were made in abundance in the city of Corinth, those clay vessels, maybe we could liken them to the cheap plastic trinkets that are ubiquitous today. They were easily broken. They were more or less disposable. You could use it for something and then you you just toss it out because it's not going to be worth much else. And I think Grasping that is important in understanding Paul's point. Because it's easy for us to hear him use this image of jars of clay. And we're not talking about the 90s hit song, Flood, right? Although I do hope that all of you have that song running through your head the rest of our time today. But if I can swim... (laughs) I gotta stick to notes. That's... When I don't, things like that happen, and it's embarrassing. So, I think it's easy for us to hear that image, the the jar of clay or the vessels of clay, and to think, well, yeah, that's me. It's earthy. You know, it's natural. It's beautiful, especially with the the culture we find ourselves in where that's, you know, that's really hip to, to find something earthy and natural, but that doesn't really seem to be what Paul is going for with the use of this image. He's pointing to our weakness. I think that becomes clear when you read the entirety of this chapter. He's pointing to our fragility, our vulnerability, our incompleteness, our tendency to break. Something that we all share. Tendency to break. That doesn't seem, at least to me, like a vessel that is fit for the glory of God. But nonetheless, that is precisely where God chooses to take up residence. To store the treasure of the glory of Christ. And thus, in storing the treasure of the glory of Christ in these fragile and broken jars or vessels of clay, those easily breakable vessels find wholeness brought to those fragmented pieces. But that wholeness, that bringing together of that fragmentation, is impossible unless we first face the reality of the brokenness. Wholeness comes through brokenness, not not in spite of it. It's not turning the lampshade around pretending the brokenness is not there. It's not putting up a facade to hide the brokenness from others. Wholeness comes through brokenness. There's no way around it. We come to terms with our brokenness, not, not resigning ourselves to it. Well, that's just the way it's going to be, but we come to terms with it so that we can recognize the work that Christ alone is doing in us to prepare us and mold us, and enliven us. So maybe the only way for me to find life, 
to find wholeness, to find life that is abundant. Maybe the only way for me to find completeness is this counterintuitive process of following the example of Jesus. Maybe I can only become whole and complete by giving myself, by giving my whole self entirely, completely as a vessel, a broken unworthy vessel of the only one who is glorious and can bring beauty out of that brokenness. And in doing that, Christ restores me and his glory is made evident through that. Not in spite of it, but because that brokenness is pulled back together. I think our understanding of wholeness from a Christian perspective in a way, is wrapped up in this idea from Paul. Let's continue. We, we've got like eight verses to get through, so I'm just going to read through them here. Verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So brokenness, fragmentation, weakness, vulnerability, all of those things that the the clay vessel takes our minds to, that can cause us to lose heart, to lose faith, to become discouraged, to feel suffocated. But Paul goes on to conclude his thought in this way in verse 16. We do not lose heart. Even after a sober analysis of the facts, Christ storing the treasure of the glory in these fragile, broken vessels of clay. Yet we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Kevin, if you want to come up. Your brokenness. So we're all on the same page there, right? We, we understand that we are broken, that our lives are fragmented, that there's no way around that. Your brokenness, your disillusionment, times when you feel like everything in your life is being pulled apart. And you can't do anything to hold it, to keep it together. Those moments, those experiences, that's not a sign that you are incapable of being made whole. You don't need to just turn the lampshade around to face the wall so that the company won't see your brokenness. Those are precisely the circumstances, precisely the circumstances that Christ is entering to restore, to redeem, to make something beautiful out of the mess his glory might be demonstrated in our weakness. Amen. Would you stand?
this morning as we prepare to come to the table. Lucas, if you'd like to join me. I want to say a prayer for us by way of invitation to the table. We're going to make two lines down the center aisle. When you arrive at the front, somebody will be here with the the bread and the cup, and the words will be spoken, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. We identify with the death of Jesus, that his life might be manifested in us, that his life might bring completeness, wholeness to our brokenness. Let's pray. Oh God, you know that we are set in the midst of many grave dangers. And because of the frailty of our nature, we cannot always stand upright. Grant that your strength and protection may support us in all dangers and carry us through every temptation. Grant that we, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Would you join us at the table today?